guys and gals to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Imagine having experienced mentors with decades of wisdom delivered right to your ears. On this podcast, we'll talk about living your purpose, leaving a legacy, influence, love, sex, success, and so much more. Don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe, and join the thousands and thousands of other change makers in our community on Facebook or go to mantalks.com. So today we're going to do something a little bit different. We don't have a, a special guest today. Uh, we're, we don't, we don't have, I don't have somebody on to, to interview, but I've been getting asked a lot of questions lately because I gave a Ted talk recently called the mask of masculinity. And in this Ted talk, I talked about some of the biggest challenges that men are facing today and, you know, addressed the question, are men in decline, which the answer is yes, there's a big decline in masculinity right now in, in a lot of different ways, which, which we're going to dive into. But I've been getting a lot of questions and a ton of people reaching out after the TED Talk saying, hey, how did the TED Talk, like, I love your TED Talk. It was fantastic. And I really enjoyed it. And how did you prep for it? How did you prep for a TED Talk? And what were some of the key pieces to actually like building your TED Talk? And how did you get to the point to even apply and get accepted for the TED Talk? And so I kind of wanted to address some of those things. And we've also been getting a lot of questions in and around how do you build a proper tribe? Uh, it's something that with Man Talks, we've done a decent job of, of building a, a tribe internationally now because we're we're in three cities and in the next month, uh, in the next couple of months, we'll be expanding to Miami and Ottawa and Calgary and uh, San Francisco and Seattle. And so there's a lot of people that have been reaching out and say, hey, how have you grown this tribe? Like, how have you grown this really, uh, really kick-ass community that a lot of people want to be a part of? And so that's the second piece that I'm going to be touching on today is how do you build and develop a really powerful, connected and engaged tribe? Because that's the key, right? Like you can go on Twitter and you can see somebody with a hundred thousand followers, but nobody's responding. Or you can go on somebody's Facebook page and they have tons of followers, you know, thousands and thousands, but nobody's interacting. And so how do you create an engaged tribe that is out that that comes out to the things that you put on that is engaged in the in your vision and and in what you want to do in the world so that's piece number two and then really quickly i'm just going to recap uh so far this year we're halfway through the year just over halfway through the year um we've had some absolutely amazing guests on from lewis Howes to neil pasricha um, you know, we've had ex Navy SEALs, we've had CEOs of multi-million dollar companies. Uh, it's been it's been a pretty incredible year so far. So um, I'm going to quickly recap that and and give the, sort of the the three takeaways that I've learned uh, from some of the best podcast interviews that we've done so far this year, and and, and then takeaways that we've learned from the events and as we expand internationally. So that's what you can look forward to in this podcast. So stay tuned. All right. So we're going to start off with the question that I've been getting a lot lately, which is, uh, how do you prep for a TED Talk? <laughs> um, how do you get involved? So let's just start at the very, very beginning. How do you get a TED Talk? 
Well, first off, you know, Ted, the, the whole premise is ideas worth spreading, right? So you need to have a spreadable idea or concept that you're willing to talk about. I think one of the biggest things that that people uh, get caught up in is telling a personal story at TED rather than coming up with an idea first and foremost. Um, so if you look at some of the most popular TED Talks out there, they're not particularly long, you know, they're 12 to 15 minutes. And the ideas that are behind them uh, are are very viral, right? So, you know, it's it's in and around um, the idea of, of how you fix racism. It's the idea of how are we going to, you know, power our future um, power our future space shuttles, how we're going to fix our education systems. How do you become happier, faster, uh, with less work, right? Like those types of ideas that are shaping the world. How do we influence our habits and our behaviors? So these are the types of ideas that a lot of people will come up with. Um, you know, and a lot of it's based around, you need to have evidence. There needs to be a little bit of research. Um, a lot of the people who have, done really influential TED Talks, they aren't necessarily people that you've ever heard of. I mean, you think of some of the, the biggest ones like Simon Sinek's Wait But Why, nobody knew who he was before he before he started it. So the the biggest thing that you can do to get a TED Talk, because we'll get into what you do once you have one, but the biggest thing that you can do to get a TED Talk is start putting yourself on the radar of people who are running these events. So, uh, you know, a great example is in Man Talks here in Vancouver, uh, we had the, the president of TEDx Stanley Park and TEDx Vancouver both come out to our events and it gave them a chance to see me speak before I had even applied to be a part of, of the organization before I even applied to speak. So if there's a way for you to invite these people out to hear your message and to hear you speak beforehand, maybe if it's not even the idea uh, that you're going to present for Ted, that's okay. It just gives them insight into what do you look like on stage? What do you sound like? What's your message? How does it land? And, and to make sure that that's in line with, with what they want to present at TED. So that's one of the biggest things that you can do to kind of get noticed ahead of time. Uh, second is just having a really sticky idea. Now, don't be afraid to talk about your idea with other people, you know, with your inner circle, with your trusted friends and, and family or, or business partners or whoever you have in your life that you trust, that inner circle, run your idea past them, right? And say, hey, I have this really great idea. I have it backed up with some evidence. Um, and here's a couple of stories that I, that I would tell if I was to give this talk. Do you think that that's powerful? And, you know, they'll give you, you, you their, their honest feedback. And that's one of the biggest things that you can do is to elicit that feedback beforehand. Um, so start asking people what they think about your idea. Cause if you don't really have a, a concrete grounded idea of what you would talk about at a TED talk, but you apply, um, you know, that there's not a lot of chance that you're going to get accepted. So that's, those are the those are the two pieces. Have a really solid idea, and make sure that other people think that it's sticky. Uh, and secondly, start kind of getting in the face, or not in the face, but start putting yourself out there to the people that are running the TEDxes in your cities. Um, so that's number two. Once you have the TED Talk, the there's, there's some pretty instrumental pieces. Um, to crafting your talk itself. And this, this is kind of applicable for any talk realistically. Um, 
the the one central thing is to have that core concept or idea but the piece that is really really important is don't just have data to back it up have something that's really personal have something that's really personal that that makes it so that you're relatable to this topic and that should be in the front part of your talk that should be in the first quarter of your talk you should come out the gates with something maybe funny or serious or something almost jarring and and not shocking necessarily but something that makes people think huh I've never thought about this topic that way, or I've never thought about this idea that way, or I didn't even know that. That's incredible. Something that that leaves them with a little bit of a sense of awe. Uh, and then get into something personal. So how does this topic relate to you? What makes you even relevant uh, or or an authority to speak on this topic? And by making it personal, you'll create that authority right there and then, Um so that's that's one piece. And then being able to tell the story, whether it's about you or whether it's about somebody else, again, you can tell a story from a personal sense and you kind of uh, check off those two boxes at once. But being able to tell a story right out, the, right out the gates is very, very powerful. And in pretty much every single TED Talk that you watch, what you'll see is they'll start with an opening question or or statement and something to really catch people off guard. And then from there, they'll either tell a personal example or they'll tell a story that relates to that topic. So that's the next piece. Um, thirdly, you need some form of evidence, right? TED Talks are ideas we're spreading because they're based in in facts. They're based in in reality. It's not like this is a nice thing like this is how i've created more happiness but there's there's not really any evidence to back that up um it's it's being able to present your idea and make it concrete so you're going to need to have some evidence so whether you're talking about happiness or masculinity or relationships or sex or infidelity or you know financial literacy or the education system or health and wellness whatever your idea is whatever your topic is you need to have something really concrete to back it up another piece that's really important is slides Here's the thing. So many people will show up with like 20 or 30 slides and they have a slide for like every single piece of their talk. It's it's hard to narrow it down, but the most powerful talks that are out there have maybe four or five slides, right? They only have a couple slides. They're really impactful and they, they get a message across or a visual to really land something. And that's what makes it really powerful. So whether you're speaking at TED or whether you're speaking at a, at a different event or you're being asked to speak for the first time at work, um, less slides is often better less slides is often better. If you're going to use, you know, 10, 20 slides, make sure that they're simple. A lot of data-driven slides will will detract from people's attention. And what slides actually do is take away from the focus on you. All right. Let me say that again. What slides actually do is take away from the focus on you. So if you can just remember that, it's a it's a really helpful piece. Now, if you've if you've cultivated and practiced your your public speaking skills, um, and don't worry, everybody's afraid of public speaking. Even I, after like years of being on stage singing opera and then doing speaking every single month with man talks, you know, I was freaked out to go and speak <laughs> at TED in front of two thousand people because um, it's just it's a high pressure situation. But being able to being able to be comfortable a little bit in your own skin. 
uh, without those slides is really important. Let your message do the work. Let your message do the work and let the slides just back up and reinforce that message. That's why they're really there. The Towards the end of your talk, you know, once you've told the story, once you have some data points to kind of back it up or some research that really drives home the message, there needs to be a reason for people to change, right? And that can be in the data itself, but oftentimes there needs to be an impact. It needs to be, and this is the impact of not changing. This is the impact that it's having on you or on your relationships or on the world or on our education system or our financial system by not creating this change. And you need to have one singular reason Sometimes too, but it's really helpful to keep it simple. One singular reason why people should change their minds forever, right? Why people should change their minds forever. Because really what you're doing is you're taking the stage from a place of influence, right? You're taking the stage from a place of influence. You're up there to spread this idea with the intention of making the world a better place, of creating the space for other people to shift their mindset and to change a little bit. Uh, and at the end, there needs to be some form of call to action, something different, right? Like Apple says, think differently. The end of your talk should be a call to action or a, a piece that allows people to think differently than that they would have never thought about before. And that will allow that will allow them to really take that message and, and make it viral. It will really allow them to spread that message. Uh, so that's that's the last piece. Now, there's like some key pieces for being on stage in a TED Talk and in a talk of any kind. Um, one of the biggest pieces that I can say from, from practicing, if you're going to practice your talk, if you're going to memorize or not memorize, um, for most people, if you're going to do a TED Talk, you probably want to memorize most of the talk. This is not something that you want to wing, even if you usually do like a very flowy talk where you, you'll have an outline. Um, a TED Talk is something that you want to have fairly memorized with some fluidity within it. Uh, so that's one of the biggest pieces. But on stage, one of the best things that, that you can do and one of the best things that... Um, that I am fortunate enough to have had in my, in my previous career as an opera singer was being taught to practice standing in one spot, practice standing in one spot. Now, when I first started speaking, I got in the habit of wandering around quite a bit. And so I would pace in my home, in my living room, I would pace back and forth, memorizing talks or running through lines and, and just trying to get everything down. Uh, but guess what happens is that carries forward on the stage. And so you get on the stage and you start pacing back and forth and back and forth. And so one of the best things you can do for practicing your public speaking is first and foremost, practice standing in one spot. And then when you're comfortable with what your talk is going to be, then you can integrate movement and it needs to be intentional movement. It needs to be, you are moving at a specific time across to a different part of the stage for a very specific reason, or you're, you're moving from your place on stage because there's a shift in the energy. There's a shift in what you're talking about. So if you're going to move on stage, if you're going to walk around, it, it needs to be with intention. One of the worst things that you can do is kick your feet and walk around on stage. Um, I see it all the time in speakers, especially new speakers. Well, they'll, they'll walk around kind of kicking their feet, 
Um, and I've done it too in the past, 100%. And when I watched myself, I just, it was, it was hard to watch because you know how unprofessional you look. So practice standing in one place. Um, one of the best things, a lot of the, a lot of questions, a lot of questions that I get around public speaking from people is how do I control my nerves? How do I not be nervous? Um, there is no not being nervous. That's, that's the thing. There is no not being nervous. There's, there's no magic formula for not being nervous. Preparation is one of the best things that you can do to help calm your nerves because the more prepared you are, the better you feel about being able to run through it. And of course, once you've gone through your talks, and you've, you know, you've practiced and you've rehearsed, you're going to have stumbles along the way. And it's how you manage those stumbles in your practice that that's how you manage it in your actual performance, right? So there's no real magic formula and everybody has a different sort of lead up to public speaking. Um, you know, some speakers, they won't really do much prep at all, or at least they say they won't do much prep at all. And they'll just quote unquote, go with the flow. Um, I'm not really one of those people and I actually need some form of preparation. I don't know if it's because of my past career, but I need some form of preparation to actually get ready for the talk. So on the morning of the talk, I'll do my, my normal routine of meditation in the morning and some, you know, some breathing and some yoga, and then I'll run through my talk once or twice to make sure that it's all, it's all on point. And then from there, before you go on stage, you know, some people get really nervous and, you know, some people actually get physically sick uh, and that's okay. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. I've definitely in the past felt physically sick before. I never have, thankfully, knock on wood. But one of the easiest way to calm your nerves before going on stage is actually just getting the blood flowing in your body right? It's getting the blood flowing in your body and it's being able to get your heart rate up a little bit and then calm it back down and doing some deep breathing. So one of the best things that you can do is shake your hands out because what happens for a lot of people is they get really cold, clammy hands and then they feel that and then their sort of autonomic nervous system kicks in and you know, tells the brain, the brain tells the body like, oh, I'm nervous now and my hands are cold and it's starting to get tingly and my feet are cold. And so one of the best things that you can do is actually shake out your hands and feet, maybe do some jumping jacks just to kind of get the blood flowing through your body again, shake out your hands, and then just do some deep breathing, just a couple breaths, you know, five to 10 deep breaths to kind of relax it all out before you go on stage. And then, you know, maybe just saying three times, I got this, I got this, I got this. And it might sound simple, but like I said, there is... There's really no secret formula. It's about finding what really works for you. These are the things that have worked for me and that I've seen other singers and, and speakers use in the past. And, um, and so I hope that those serve you well. And, and finally, one of the things that is the biggest pieces for preparation for any public speaking, and it's the most uncomfortable, uh, admittedly, is recording yourself. <laughs> and I'm sure that there's most of you out there probably just shuddered right now, but it's actually recording yourself and then watching yourself speak because you'll catch some of those habits. You'll catch some of those things that you're, that you're doing, and then you'll be able to bring them into your consciousness and stop them. So if you're a shuffler, like I was on stage, and you shuffle around and kick your feet, you'll see it and you'll want to stop it. And so then you'll catch yourself in the moment and you can stop it. So record yourself, even if it's just once. Even if you just run through your talk and you read it off a script and, you know, you rehearse it like you normally would and you record it and you force yourself to watch it, it is one of the most powerful things that you can do. 
So that's uh, that's how to prep for a TED Talk, how to give the TED Talk, how to get a TED Talk. And um, I hope that serves you. You know, it's, it's, those are some key pieces for uh, actually, you know, just any form of public speaking. So if you have any further questions, don't hesitate to, to email us or email me at info at mantalks.ca. If you had any further questions about prepping for, for the TED Talk uh, but, or for about public speaking or performance in general. Um, so moving on, we're going to talk about really quickly how to build your tribe. There's been quite a few people who have reached out in the last little while as we've expanded to Toronto and Ottawa and Calgary and, you know, LA and Miami. And as we expand internationally and globally next year, there's been a lot of people reaching out and saying like, you know, what's your, what's your secret? What are you doing to build this international and global community? And how are you building your tribe? Now that word seems to be getting thrown around a lot. So whether you want to use the word tribe or community, is really up to you, whatever word best, you know, suits your personality and your life best. Um, I'm going to use the word community because for me, the, the community is, is something that it's integrative, right? The community is, is serving one another and it's not just about the actual organization itself, but it's the community coming together. So I'm going to use that word. So how do you build your tribe community? Well, first off, you need to know who you're serving. That is one of the biggest pieces. You know, when Apple set out to create its computers, Steve Jobs knew that he wasn't going to be building the same type of computer that that Microsoft was building and that PC was building and that it was for completely different people, right? So once they started building the Apple and the Macintosh computers, he wanted it to be for home. He wanted it to be for education. He had a very clear understanding of who he was serving, and the same goes for Mantox. We had a very clear understanding of who we were serving and who we wanted to be of service to. So understanding that, you know, we're predominantly, we're, we're a personal growth company for men. And of course, women are a part of the conversation, but that's the, that's the audience that we're for. Understanding that piece is extraordinarily important. One of the biggest pitfalls that people fall into when they're trying to build a community is trying to appease everybody. So saying, I want this community to be for everyone. No, 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 no. Please stop. <laughs> um, reel it back in. Who is it really for? Who is this really serving? Who's your ideal client? You know, like, is it a guy in his early 30s um, who's, you know, a professional, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Is it a woman in her late 40s who's, you know, just going through like retirement and looking for what the next step is? Really identifying who that who that person is and who you're serving them is extraordinarily important. The second piece is understanding why. Why should they even give a shit? Why should they listen to you? Why are you even doing this? And that's that's the biggest thing. People will only listen to not only, but most of the time, people will only listen to what you have to say when you're speaking from a place of this is why I'm doing this. When you're reinforcing why this is important to you and why it's important to them and why it's important to the bigger the bigger picture right that will start to create the community and lastly you need to figure out what problems you're solving for them right what problems are you solving so for man talks when you look at you know personal growth for men there's there's not much out there right like when you look at communities for guys there's a lot of communities you know there's like playboy and there's Esquire and there's GQ and those all serve a purpose, but a lot of them are, are circled around, you know, style 
and getting laid and those types of those, those like typical stereotypes. But when you look at an, a community, an international community for men that is helping them to develop their, their lives and their businesses and their, you know, their purpose and what their legacy is and their family and their relationships on a really healthy level, there's not a lot out there. And so there's, there's some serious problem the, the, the problem that we solve for is, you know, a lack of community for men, a lack of tribe for men. That's the specific problem that we're solving for. Um, because one out of every two guys in, in the United States and one out of every two guys in the UK and one out of every two guys in Canada can't even identify a best friend. So there's half of the men that are out there that are either listening to this podcast or that are coming to the events, they are having troubles identifying a, a, you know, a best friend. And maybe that's you, maybe you're listening on this podcast and you're thinking, yeah, that's me. I'm, I don't really have that like really close friend or that close group of guys that push me to achieve the things that I'm wanting to achieve. So that's why, you know, man talks exists. That's a problem that we solve specifically. And so being able to understand what problem you're solving is a huge, huge, huge piece to building your tribe. Then it's coming from a place of giving and not getting. So this is the law of reciprocity. And if you've never heard that before, write it down, look it up. There's a book about it, law of reciprocity. Um, I mean, you can read about it. It's pretty straightforward, but basically the, the core principle of the law of reciprocity is super simple. It's give first and you'll receive after give first and receive after. And so when you're trying to build a community, the biggest piece is how can you give to these people? Not just like content and blog articles or, you know, podcasts, I'll, I'll admit it, not just those types of things, but how can you go above and beyond to really create connection? You know, how can you go above and beyond to really solve that problem of what they're looking for? And maybe it is through content. Maybe it is through, a, you know, a very specific blog article that you know, you've understood what the problem is that they need. And so you're going to solve that. But being able to understand how you can contribute to your community first and foremost. And then secondly, and this is the really important piece because a lot of people will just go to that first step. The second step and the most important step is how do you allow your community to give back to one another? How do you allow your community to give back to one another? And this is where a lot of people struggle. This is where a lot of businesses fall short to actually connect their community together. And so they have a community, they've you know built this great audience, maybe they have tens of thousands of followers, but their community isn't actually engaged in supporting one another with what they're up to in the world. And so with Man Talks, you know, we've done some smaller uh, free events where we'll get 50 guys and they'll all collaborate on something. And in the future, we're working on some some other events where we'll take guys and they'll all volunteer and they'll support one another in building their businesses or they'll support one another in, you know, relationship advice or feedback on their company or their health or whatever the case may be. But finding these really unique ways for your community to give back to one another is the most essential piece because then they feel involved. It's not just you giving to them and them trying to give back to you as the organization or as the entity, but they are giving back to one another. There's a great organization here in Vancouver in, in Canada, and it's called Chasing Sunrise. 
And it sounds ludicrous at first, but it's amazing. So what they do is they get a few hundred people up at the crack of dawn, like 3.30 in the morning, and they take these 300 people out and then they go and hike uh, a massive mountain and they hike up this mountain and they all watch sunrise happen. And it's an amazing, amazing community that supports one another with what they're doing in the world. So look for ways that your community can support one another. So that's those are some of the key pieces to building a tribe. The sort of three three key pieces. Um, you know, who are you serving? Why are you serving them? What problem are you solving? AKA, what do they need? And then, uh, how are you giving to them? How are you contributing to them and allowing them to contribute to one another? All right, man, talks tribe. So we've had some pretty incredible guests uh, so far this year, from founders of multi billion dollar companies to international speakers, to New York Times bestselling authors, all the way to uh, Navy SEALs, which was a pretty incredible interview. Uh, Some of these men have shown up on our main stage, some of them have been on our podcast, and some of them have written for us on the website. And so we wanted to do a sort of like a half year mark because it's, you know, we're almost, you know, we're just a little bit over halfway through the year. And we wanted to recap some of the big pieces, uh, some of the main takeaways that, that you, the audience, and that some of our other people live in the events have said were the most influential, uh, wisdom packed pieces of what some of our guests have said on the podcast, blog, and event. And so we're going to we're gonna give a shout out to some of these guys, and it's going to be really quick, but we're going to condense some of the biggest pieces of wisdom uh, from the last six months. So here we go. First and foremost, we're going to start with Mr. Cal Newport. Now, Cal wrote a book called Deep Work. It's a New York Times bestselling book. Uh, incredible man, incredible interview. And his one of our main takeaways from his interview was the idea of something called attention residue. Now, for a lot of people who listen to this podcast, this seemed to really stick out. And even for myself as an interviewer, this really stuck out. Uh, And why did it stick out? Because all of us are trying to be so productive in our day-to-day lives. We're all uh, really trying to strive for being the the most productive and being the most effective and the most efficient. And the cool thing about this attention residue that Cal talks about is it's it's basically data that proves that when we shift from one topic or one uh, action that we're taking in our life to another, there's a residue that our attention holds on to the last action. So let's say that we're you know we're creating sales copy for our business, or we're writing our book. Or we are, you know, working on our music. If we're a musician out there, um, whatever we're working on, let's say that we're, let's say we're, we're, we're working on our website. We're building a website, and all of a sudden, an email comes in, and we shift gears. We go to answer that email, and then we come back to the work that we're really focused in on doing. Well, there's a there's a residue that lingers from that email. There's a residue that lingers through from that actual action, and so Cal's. Uh, Cal's sort of solution for this is creating space to do deep work. Now, this is different from meditation, although he said it could be a form of a meditative process. Uh, and he said it's different from focus in that what you do in deep work is you you carve out a space without any distractions. So no emails, no text messages, no Facebook or Twitter notifications or Instagram, nothing. Now, for most people, that might sound pretty scary. 
um, but you carve out an hour or two and you have specific tasks that you want to solve. So that could be creating an outline for your book. That could be answering a question or, or challenge within your business that you're facing. Because what he said is that most of us try and solve these really sort of big challenges or we try and create these outlines or we try and create these uh, structures or operational procedure pieces for our life all while having all of these distractions come in. And so tasks that should take us an hour or two hours end up taking eight hours because of all the constant distractions. So that's Cal Newport, Deep Work and the Attention Residue Effect. Check out that podcast if you get a chance. It was really awesome. Uh, the next thing that I want to talk about is brotherhood, building a band of brothers from Stephen Mansfield. We had him on and he is another New York Times bestselling author for many, many books. Uh, one of them is Stephen Mansfield's book of Manly Men. And Stephen talks about the importance of brotherhood and the decline of men and masculinity. Now, this is a really important topic. As you know, it's the, the Man Talks podcast. Um, but Stephen talks about how men are in decline. And he brought up some really interesting points around how, you know, the suicide rates are up for men. Uh, men are making less money than ever before. Men are really struggling to find fulfilling relationships. Uh, and one of the most interesting facts that we talked about was a lot of men are really struggling to feel connected to other men in their life. And so in the United States and in the UK and a few other countries, half of men over the age of 25 can't identify a best friend. Now, this is obviously a, a, a pretty big issue um, and, and kind of shocking for a lot of people. But he says that, you know, in, in the interview and in his book, that this is a fixable solution. And how we fix it is by building our band of brothers. So building those men that we're willing to have real conversations with, that we're willing to have real conversations and connections with. The ones that I say go beyond the beers and, you know, the babes and the blood sports. And so that's one of the big pieces that, that he talked about, um, which ties into the Man Talks Mastermind. That's one of the pieces that we've built to bridge that gap for men who are looking to really genuinely connect with other guys uh, who are willing to not only hold them accountable, but who are willing to challenge them in their life. So we've, we've created, within the context of Man Talks, this really great brotherhood. And he talks about how important, Stephen talks about how important that band of brothers is and basically says that the solution to, you know, helping with domestic violence and with the unemployment rates and some of the major crises that we that we're facing today is by creating these band of brothers. So that's the next one. Uh, moving on, Greg McEwen. Greg McEwen, the New York Times bestselling author of Essentialism. He has got some really great pieces in his book. It's jam-packed. It's one of the one of my top picks, to be completely honest with you. But there's one specific topic in there that I wanted to kind of point out, and that's the idea of thinking big and acting small. Thinking big and acting small. Now, most of us think pretty big, especially if we're entrepreneurs. If you're an entrepreneur out there, you're probably a big thinker. We have a big vision that you want to accomplish. And Greg McEwen basically says, 
Think big, have that big vision, but act small on a daily basis. Act small. So what does that mean? Well, he says, don't expect quantum leaps to happen. Don't expect the big leaps to happen every single day. Small work leads to big action. So there's another, there's a blog article that somebody just wrote for the Man Talks uh, website. It's called, uh, don't stop half-assing everything and whole ass one thing. I'm going to say that again. Stop half-assing everything and whole ass one thing. And this is the idea that Greg kind of brings in with essentialism is being able to identify the one thing or the singular point things in our lives that we should really be focusing in on. What are going to provide the most value for us and for the people around us and what's going to be the most rewarding. Last but not least is a man who we were fortunate enough to have on our stage and on our podcast, Mr. Lewis Howes. And Lewis talks about how, so Lewis runs the School of Greatness, and he says that greatness isn't what you do, but it's how you show up. Now, Lewis had a great talk on stage, and he had a lot of value for everybody that was in the audience. Uh, and this was one of the most impactful things that he talked about. He said that great greatness isn't about who you know, but how you know them. So this is the idea that our network isn't just about the number of people that we have in our network, but how we know those number of people within our network. Now, this is a big shift for a lot of people because you might be out there thinking, oh, well, I've got you know 2,500 people on Facebook, but I only actually know a couple hundred of them. And this idea is that, you know, greatness in our relationships, and this was a big shift for a lot of people. It even made me think like, hmm, that's, that's a really good way of putting it. But greatness within our relationships is not just having a lot of people in our network, but knowing who they are, knowing what's important to them, knowing how we can contribute to them, and really having a powerful connection to the people who are in our lives and how we can actually make a difference in them. So I wanted to leave you with those pieces. Um, there's some other great things that have happened with Man Talks this year. We've launched in Toronto and Los Angeles, and we are launching in the next few months in Calgary, in Ottawa, in Miami, and we're working on San Francisco, Seattle, New York, and Chicago. So if you're in those latter cities, if you're in New York, Chicago, Seattle, or San Francisco, and you want to get involved, please don't hesitate to reach out. You can reach us at info at mantalks.ca. You can reach out through the website on the contact form if you want to get involved and be a part of bringing Man Talks to your city. And if you're in one of the cities that we're launching in soon, then stay tuned because we are coming at you. And I will personally be coming down to all those cities. And if you come out to the events, I would love to meet you. Make sure you come and say hi. So that's it for this week. We have some really exciting big guests coming up in the next few weeks. And we're excited. So thank you very much for tuning in to Man Talks. And we'll see you next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring man.